Welcome to I Am, I Have, brought to you by Happiful Magazine and Counselling Directory. Today's guest is Rhiannon Lambert, one of the UK's leading nutritionists. She's also a best-selling author, host of the chart-topping Food for Thought podcast, and has recently released The Science of Nutrition, debunk the diet myths and learn how to eat well for health and happiness. Rhiannon shares what drives her and why science and evidence-based knowledge is power that has the potential for making real change when coupled with self-knowledge. Before we start today's episode, I'd love to encourage you to download the free Happful app so you can read our digital magazine whenever and wherever you want to and search for the right therapist, nutritionist, life coach or hypnotherapist for you. Check it out and let us know what you think. Now, back to Rhiannon. After you've listened, it would be great if you'd consider rating this podcast and leaving us a review. It helps others to find us and for us to know what you'd like to hear more of. I hope you enjoy this episode. Today's podcast is going to be a goodie because we're speaking to the wonderful Rhiannon Lambert, a firm favourite of the Happiful team. Rhiannon is one of the UK's leading nutritionists, a best-selling author, and the host of the chart-topping Food for Thought podcast, and has recently released the epic new book, The Science of Nutrition, Debunk the Diet Myths, and Learn How to Eat Well for Health and Happiness. Welcome, Rhiannon. Oh, hello. Hi, Lucy. It's so nice to be speaking with you again. And when you just use the word epic for the book, that's almost how I felt writing it like oh it's an epic epic challenge but thank you so much for having me. Let's start for anyone who hasn't heard from you before by you telling us what you think we should know about you. I am a registered nutritionist and that means that my job entails helping people on a one-to-one level and also helping the general public with you know understanding and breaking down science the scientific element of nutrition and translating it into everyday lives. I've done my degrees and my master's degree and I'm fully qualified so there's a lot of confusion in that particular area of who to speak to with regards to their your dietary needs and I'm a mum and a podcast host myself of Food for Thought podcast if anyone wants to just focus in on nutrition that's kind of my um, chatting point I get to chat to some wonderful scientists around the world and experts in their field that's in a nutshell that's what I do I run the platforms retrition so if anyone wants to check it out it's r-h-i-trition so t-r-i-t-i-o-n on social media and there's so much on there absolutely loads and loads of information and the podcast so do go and check out food for thought when you have listened to this podcast and we're going to jump in with your first I am and it's I am determined to fight pseudoscience and misinformation online with evidence-based advice I was so pleased when I read this because it's a new year and there is so much misinformation tell us about your mission around this and what really gets your goat and what you want to address (laughs) oh a lot of things get my goat Lucy a lot and it's not just from a pure venting side of things it's the fact that I've witnessed the damage that misinformation can have over the years in my nutrition clinic where I forgot to say I run a team of clinicians where we help people with a variety of areas from eating disorders to weight management intuitive eating sports nutrition fertility there's a, there's a whole range of things and really sadly I think nutrition is an area where we can become very vulnerable and susceptible to things because we want to take control of our lives in one shape or form and we want to make a difference and when you're 
in a particular position to be looking for answers, sadly, Google or your search engine or your favorite influencer might at that point in time be pedal pushing some sort of miracle, what, what appears to be the answer, you know, it worked for me, therefore it will work for you too. But it can have really devastating consequences on people's relationships with food as well as their physical health. I think we forget that nutrition isn't just about the food you eat, it's the impact it has on your mental health, on your social interactions, on the chemical functioning of your body on a different level. So I've spent my life training from being a singer before my previous background was in the music industry before I even went down the road and I experienced myself misinformation, I believe that to be healthy you live on diet products basically that's what I thought wrongly many 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 moons ago that that was the answer so I think just from experiencing it witnessing it in my clinic with my clients having a profile online and hearing stories from people on a daily basis who are impacted by misinformation it all gets my goat Lucy because it's just you know there are you only really need four or five supplements in the world not a million you don't need fatty diets and they don't hold the answers for people so that that's why I feel the way I do about that I am that's my mission to make it better yeah and I'm so glad that you're doing that because we at Happerful constantly find examples of people who are talking about a certain diet or a quick fix it's really really very damaging but also on the other end of that are people who just want more information because they want to feel better or do better so I think when we look at these things online quite often we're looking at them because we want to make an improvement and we want to take our health in our own hands so Mm. when we're met with that misinformation it's a real mismatch of ambition or aspiration versus what we're getting tell us about the science of nutrition and and what you wanted to do because I called it epic but I'd also call it (laughs) encyclopedic you know you are you are talking about things like gut health which can feel like a really big topic you know diets IBS should we even be going on a diet you know tell us about this book well one thing that I had within my control to contribute to society and make a difference not only the educational background I have or my work in my clinic but in order to bring information to more people there's a level of responsibility with having social media profile in the first place but I had an opportunity here to take on a project which in hindsight I completely underestimated how difficult it is to write an encyclopedia of nutrition it's what I always wanted to do but I had a baby at the time and it was all very um you know lockdowns it was crazy mad time to write books with no childcare. but that aside it gave me more of an insight into the vulnerability that people were experiencing and like you said the optimism of wanting to do something and not knowing where to go the book was born via a Q&A format because a lot of the time you put into your Google search engine or you find your clients are asking you these questions and um, I've even got things in there from the aging brain you know or how can I look after my skin because so many people are asking these questions on an every single day basis should I be doing a keto diet should I be fasting you know is it what's all the hype is it actually a good thing to be slim in the first place like why is this put on like some hierarchy it, it does it really matter does it make me healthier those are the questions that I break down with pure fact showcasing both sides to the argument and putting in so you can take the information you want from the book and know the answer and pick what you want to follow and what you want to do it's 
yeah, an encyclopedia, a Bible of nutrition. That's my contribution back to everybody because I felt that for too long, there's either a huge textbook of nutrition, which is overwhelming, like you said, subjects like gut health or pure gut health books are just so isolating. You're like, do I really want to open up this huge thing just about this subject? Or can I get the, the things I need to know now that are proven that I can apply to myself in easy accessible breakdown information and that's where the science of nutrition nutrition was born there was no middle ground it was either a very glossy unrealistic image of you know even my first book I mean I love Renourish so much I'm so proud of it but there's a picture of me on the front cover holding a bowl of food now I think that may alienate certain people and not help them pick up the book and get access to the information inside so I wanted a book that's going to appeal to all ages, all demographics and can sit on a coffee table. And then one day, if you think, oh, no, I do have that book. I don't need to turn to this social media trend or whatever it is that's popped up. There's a lot of passion behind it for me because it's breaking away from the norm of a glossy kind of subject versus a huge textbook. And it's meeting them both in the middle. It covers such a huge range of topics. You know, you talk Everything. about you talk about farting, which is something and, yes. you know, bowel movements which we know from having uh, the nutritionist resource that people search for information about is my poo normal but yeah. we don't talk about it you also yeah. talk about things like sugar uh, said, and aging, alcohol sugar, and aging yeah alcohol all of those different things so it really is as you read one page and you move to another you learn something and as I said before it's things that we think we know about but we're not quite sure or we might not be sure at all and it it really is enlightening so well done and thank you for fighting back on that pseudoscience because we know that it's it's much needed and your next I am is I am of the belief that knowledge is power And so learning how to eat well is a question of psychology as much as nutrition. Now, this is something that really speaks to us as helpful. Tell us about that question of psychology around eating and nutrition. This is one of the areas I had to put this in there because I think it's what differentiated my practice at the very beginning of my career to other health professionals is that I understood very, very quickly that food is so psychological you can't you you need to understand that everyone has a different journey a different path a different outlook a different way of um, breaking down the message you're giving them the language the communication different barriers social norms cultures ethnicity you know I could list it but all of those things shape how we see the world of food it shapes our relationship with it and it shapes our ability to digest information and take on what we want to choose to do with our diets there's a reason I start the book with the fact that I explain that there's many research diets in the world but the most popular are the Mediterranean perhaps the Japanese diets and Norwegian diets and this is where a lot of literature emerges from but that may not take into account someone that's living in Africa on a completely different type of diet to one that's heavily researched in the Mediterranean applying to their heart health or longevity so that's the environmental kind of background of circumstance but then you've got how you grew up in the world let's have a big think about how this shapes our psychology and our perceptions on what is seen as a good food for instance or bad food or the dumb thing you know the etiquette around food how do you eat it do you sit at the table with your family do you have it on the sofa is there always dessert is it a lot of rules that dictate your relationship with it and how you approach it And I felt that one big barrier to getting behavior change when it comes to dietary aspects 
is that this isn't taken into account. You know, you've got public health messages which have to be there, like, you know, eat, eat less, move more, which is absurd when you think about it because we're using calculations that are not accurate, 100% accurate. I've Anyway, that's in the book. That's another story. The calories subject is in the science of nutrition. But these are messages that are drummed into us and ones that you may not realize are psychologically ingrained. And we've all got in the back of our heads when we eat every meal or you'll think about it on a daily basis. And in order to understand how to eat well, you need to understand that part of your journey and what's happened. Are you a mindful eater or do you distract yourself for a certain purpose? Um, I discussed that in the book, you know, the principles of intuitive eating. Like, do you have these ingrained rules that no eating after six or do you feel guilty for it? Because so much of what we eat is linked to enjoyment and emotions and a whole spectrum of those. So my big I am and one of the big things I wanted to do was make sure this book does at least have elements of covering the whole spectrum of it so you can make informed choices knowledge is definitely power but you need to understand how you tick and how you see food in order to access it and that's been the barrier with public health nutrition for so many years it's so hard we don't have the capacity to give everyone the access to a psychologist and a nutritionist but if we can just tell people, look, it's okay, you're unique, this is how you function, this is how you see the world, have a think about how this person sees the world, and that's why one diet won't fit everybody, you know, these kind of ways of breaking it down. That's such a beautiful way to put it, that you're unique, and everybody brings to the table, pardon the pun, their own, mm -hmm. as you said, social, environmental, a whole slew of different considerations when it comes to food, as well as perhaps the way they might have used food or not used yeah. food to soothe themselves or comfort themselves or, or regain control in the past. So quite often these blanket terms of, like you said, eat less, move more, are not nuanced enough for how we live yeah. and, and the psychology. And I, I think that's a really beautiful way of explaining it you know that we're all unique and we have this yeah. story around food we do and and knowledge being power but also self-knowledge yeah because if you don't know yourself or identify what you're actually trying to achieve underneath it all it's very difficult to implement anything and you'll get you'll hit a wall and that's where there's a reason that most behavior changes don't continue or last and a lot of the time in in psychology land you know we have different Freudian belief systems and different ways of looking into changes and stages of changes but ultimately nutrition is deeply deeply rooted with how we think and feel it's fascinating yeah I, I mean it makes private practice so rewarding and intriguing and interesting because no client I've seen so many over the, the decade you think how many clients you probably then no single one is ever the same and it blows my mind sometimes that we get warped into in society this position of thinking there's one diet that fits all or one size that fits all because it's just so if you think about it it's ludicrous how could that ever be the case Sadly, not everyone's tuned in or they have that self switched on where they can see they're deserving and worthy of being unique. That's that's also a challenge. I agree. And what I love about everything you talk about is it debunks those kind of, as you said, ingrained messages that we've had as we're growing up. I'm in my 40s and I know that I have that deeply ingrained from when I was growing up and there was certain milkshake diets and certain... Yes. In the trends, the, the way that models looked when I was in my teens, theoretically, I know that we are all different. 
there is still some of that that remains and I have to actively work upon rallying against that so it's not always easy is it it is far from easy it is so far from easy that it it's almost really sad because it's painted as well you're a failure if you can't just switch off those thoughts well obviously that's the case that's not how our mind works things that are so ingrained are really really concretely there it's like an internal mental battle and in order to do a generational shift and to get the future generations to have healthier relationships with food we need more books like not just bigging my book up but we need more books like that out there we need more people having these discussions we're having right now you know we need the honesty that you've just shared Lucy and you know I've shared about my past in the music industry and the toxic relationships of food because we know they weren't right but sadly once that's in your head every now and again it rears its ugly self and you have to tell it off it's like a physical conversation and battle in your brain to to get your rational side to come forward and and think through yeah I think we have quite a long way to go with with the psychology aspect of all of that than that discussion um but you can definitely learn a lot from your mood and the food that you eat and the things that you choose to consume because there are so many links we know now the gut health can have a huger and larger impact on recovering from depression for instance rather than medication which was huge the smiles trials that came out that was fascinating research knowing that food can do that so it's sad that we've all been brainwashed to believe food is something that should be restricted and is bad for us, which is, like you said, in different generations, that's basically the message that was fed. It really was. And that's why when you talk about things like sleep being so important in the book, you know, sleep and hydration and all these things, because they impact how much we want to eat, how we feel about ourselves, you know, there, there is a a direct relationship between food and mood and you also talk about mental health in the book could you share a bit more about that oh a hundred percent a hundred percent and yes sleep of course I mean first of all it's very difficult I can appreciate a lot of people might be working night shifts or you have different types of working roles or you're a parent with no sleep and it, it's difficult but it does impact our mood and ultimately affects our hunger hormones and our signaling and the links between the gut brain axis I'm sure you've I think we may have discussed it in the past before, but I'm sure lots of people have because it's such an amazing emerging area of research that we have that our gut actively talks to our brain effectively and we can produce certain hormones based on how active our bacteria, so the microbiota that live in the gut are and what we eat and what we choose to feed it. So carbohydrates, for instance, demonized for so long we actually know if you get enough of them, the right type, the high fiber type of carbohydrate, they feed that gut bacteria. They then produce these short chain fatty acids or all these different, or it complicated, it's all in the book, but all these different um, areas that then produce our happy hormones, serotonin. And that's largely in our gut. It's got nothing to do with other factors. That's our happy hormone we're talking about that's impacted by basically how much you poo because it's good to have a good digestive system. That can make a difference. Who'd have thought that how frequently or how heavy your stool is can play a role with reflecting your mental health? It's it's absolutely fascinating, the research we have now. And certain items of foods like bananas contain serotonin. And we know that serotonin is linked to melatonin, which regulates our sleep cycle. It's as a human being, we forget how connected we are and the bigger picture because we isolate foods down to individual items 
rather than thinking of the big picture. And that's where we go wrong because mental health is hugely impacted by what we eat. It's only one pillar of it, but it's a big one. You know, lifestyle, movement, stress, relationships, all these things will play a role in genetics, you know, what you're predetermined to experience. But food can help, but it's following a Mediterranean style diet is what we've got most research on, which is loads of fruit, veg. It's just a healthy, balanced diet, basically. It's great to know that connection between serotonin and melatonin and our sleep and our food and our mood. And we'll put more of this in the article that will be on the website. But also, again, the best place to go uh, is the book and Rhiannon's podcasts to find out much, much more about this. And I'm so fascinated, as I said before. We're going to move on to your next I am, which is I'm proud to support so many people's nutrition and health through my clinic, books and podcast. I can really tell that you're massively passionate about this. Every time we've met, you're just so keen to support other people. Where does that drive come from? It is genuinely the reason I wake up in the morning to do my job. And I've never actually been asked where the drive comes from before. And it's I, I have therapy every other week now in actually in relation to my first my birth of my son because it was such a difficult experience for me and something came out within it that I never really thought of before and it was just that I find it very very I'm just very empathetic I, I find I feel other people's emotions I just always have been since I was a young girl. I, I then find it very difficult myself sometimes to switch off from that. So it's been an interesting discussion. So it's interesting you asked that question because I genuinely know from experiencing it firsthand and from coming from a really different background to the one I find myself in now and experiencing different things growing up and being self-sufficient from the age of 16, pretty much earning a living and paying my rent and doing all of this sort of thing. I just saw such catastrophic impacts of such simple things that can change. And I think what drives me is just knowing that if you can have support or kindness from one person supporting along your journey, that's why I loved my clinical practice. And that's why I started it at the beginning was, wow, I can really help someone get a grip on this one area of their life which will make them feel better. I do feel that people don't have enough support. They don't have anyone to talk to. And sometimes if you're able to get a grip on something that could easily go wrong, if you don't approach it in the right way, it can make such a big difference. So I, I love it. It really changes people. You know, that empathetic nature you have is really evident, but also it's that feeling of knowing how it feels to be alone when you're struggling with food and eating. If you can help someone else with that, because it is like we've talked about such a personal thing. Sometimes it's so hard to get your way out of a problematic or just a, a confused relationship with your own nutrition. It's debilitating for people. It's sad. It can be, like we said, the psychological element, isolating, very lonely place to be when you're struggling with your nutrition or your food. And, you know, a lot of people just wrongly assume nutrition is just about aesthetics. It's so, so wrong. You know, I would say maybe 3% of our clinical practice is involved in that in that shape of capacity a lot of the time it's so much more than that and it stems deep really deep you know we're talking about your relationships you have with other people as a result of your relationship with food so it's so important that we just are kind 
I think what we really lack again, and it makes me sad, it, this is again why it makes me so determined because there's not enough people showing empathy or kindness when it comes to the subject of food. It's almost very dogmatic. It's a very, um, it's approached in so many messaging, media messages as a very black and white subject or hard hitting or punchy, you know, it has to have the, the headline has to be right. And actually what everyone just needs is a little bit of kindness and a hug and then the ability to have the education and to get through and do what works for them. But oh, it's just holding hand, isn't it? It's what we're lacking. We're completely with you on that. I mean, I, I couldn't agree more. Your I have is really beautiful one, which is I have a family now. And so I've never been more obsessed about the future and making my son's generation the healthiest it can be. Ensuring sustainability is key to optimal nutrition. So firstly, congratulations. I've not seen you since you've yeah. had your little boy who is beautiful and your kitten, of course. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and, you now, and you're now pregnant with your second child as well. So a big congratulations. Thank you, Lucy. Yeah, it, it's it's almost like becoming an entirely different person, wanting to keep hold of the part of you before and also wanting to nourish the new part of you or grow with it in the right way. And I just dread to think if I'm not able to do something or we can't make a change, what the future generations have in store for a whole variety of areas, actually, when it comes to nutrition uh, in the book, I mentioned the sustainability aspect. You know, we have to think of the planet, even when I'm when I wean my son and now and the way he eats, I'm trying to ensure that he is eating in a way that will be future proof, which is something I don't think parents even had to think about before. So it's it's a very different time now to bring up a child of uncertainty, but also with this pseudoscience, I, I think we're starting to cut through. And I do think having outlets like social media as much as I dread the day my kids will be on social like I'm dreading it they'll be on social media I hope that because you're able to see more and get access to more good not just bad that it outweighs the fact you didn't have access to it before so with more of these conversations and shifts in what's popular and you know if I can make a difference in what I do and it becomes more popular then more people will start doing it and hopefully by the time he gets to school you know the goal is that the science of nutrition will be at school and people will be learning in a completely different way so yeah I, I wake up in the morning for them every day and my kitten every day <laughs> my kitten is my she is my absolute world she's the only other girl in the house <laughs> you need that also yeah. you know not talking back kind of yeah yeah well do you know she has her own little personality I will say she's incredible she follows me she knows when she wants attention she'll follow me everywhere around the house and she's not scared of water a cat that's not scared of water it's bizarre such a busy household you've got going on and, yeah. and all of this as well I just wondered if you felt a sense of optimism from the time that you've been working in nutrition because you and I first spoke in 2019 and in those two years I feel like things have changed certainly the conversation about the environment and the way we eat I feel has really ramped up in those two years I wondered if you felt a sense of optimism you know aside from the misinformation that we see on social media about the way the conversation is going no I do and it's lovely to hear you even ask it because like I said I don't think I could have sold this book to people the science of nutrition and the way it's gone down today when I released my first book Renourish 
And that was, we nourished was 2017, well, 2018, you know, just on the cusp of the year. And things have changed so much since then. We've had huge discussions about the climate, huge discussions about health. Um, you know, we've had a pandemic hit everybody and people are more interested in their health than ever before. We don't have any data yet on nutrition and COVID. We've got some emerging studies of gut health and not enough to draw any concrete conclusions. So I do have, yeah, a good feeling about the future of the way we're going. We're starting to respect food more, respect the planet more, respect everybody is unique more and more because people are starting to listen. And I feel like they're starting to open their eyes and ears to maybe welcome in this change. So yes, I do, is the answer to that. <laughs> and that's a great answer. And I love that notion of respect and I see that as well with the the things that come across my desk in terms of books and people talking and it is about making sure that we respect and we use what we have in the best possible way when it comes to the food that we mm. eat and the planet so I, I would concur I think respect and food is a is a brilliant and and individuality like you were yes. talking about Yes, we're embracing more sizes, shapes, cultures, backgrounds, because we can see them now. We've got people having voices that never had voices before. All of it, it may not be directly related to food, but that will impact food as well. It's the, all of it does. So it's very positive. Now we're talking about the future and when your little boy is going to go to school. Here's a question that we ask everyone, which is 10 years from now. So if you could meet Rhiannon 10 years from now, and you sit together and she says something to you, what do you hope she would say about the future? Oh, the, the dream, the 10-year dream would yep. be, but there are no fad diets now because they don't exist anymore because we learned. <laughs> that would be brilliant, wouldn't it? <laughs> I mean, if yeah, if I could tell myself in 10 years' time that everything I campaigned for and put so much heart and soul into has just improved it's almost like one of those um Netflix documentaries or films you know when they look back and things are just totally different now to how they were before I can't think of the one there's one that's like sticking in my mind that I watched the other day that would be the the dream yeah just to hear that all these things are just a thing of the past and we're focusing more on the on I would say bigger bigger things and better things that sounds wonderful and fingers crossed before we go can you just tell people where they can find you and also your books um so the retrition social media platforms it's I now have a tiktok as well I can't believe it there is a tiktok um <laughs> just for recipes and things uh instagram twitter facebook it's all a lot of fun but it's also very um informative so you'll get a lot of recipes for fr everything's free of charge on the social media channels so much information and then the science of nutrition the book is available everywhere it's a global book so any country should be able to gain access to it at some point um in various languages amazon and water stones and your bookstores um, all of them support your local businesses as well because you know they will they will stock the book if you ask and then the podcast food for thought and yeah that's where you can you can find me that's wonderful thank you i have loved speaking to you again thank you loved it, thank you for listening to i am i have don't forget to check out our free app and we'd really love it if you could rate review and follow our podcast too it really helps before you go, I wanted to let you know that on the Happful app, we have information about where you can find mental health support. 
But if you need immediate help, Samaritan's are open 24 hours a day, seven days a week on 116-123 or you can email joe at samaritans.org. Help is available. This podcast is hosted and produced by me, Lucy Donoghue for Happiful. I hope you'll listen again soon.